We are back for another week in the world of Sasta with me, your nerdy British host, Harry Stebbings, at H Stebbings with two Bs on Snapchat, and brought to you by the main man at Sasta, Jason Lemkin, at JasonLK on Twitter. Always a must-read being Jason's Twitter feed for sure. However, to the show today, I'm thrilled to welcome a very special guest to the hot seat today. So joining us on the show, we have Stacey Epstein, CEO at Zinc, the secure communications platform for workers in front of customers, not computers. They have backing from some of the best in SaaS investing, including the likes of Jason Green at a Emergence, CRV with George Zachary and GE Ventures. Prior to Zinc, Stacey was CMO at Banjo. Before Banjo, Stacey was CMO at ServiceMax, where she helped fuel five consecutive years of triple-digit growth. Finally, before ServiceMax, Stacey was the Vice President of Global Marketing Communications at SuccessFactors. During her tenure with SuccessFactors, Stacey pioneered the marketing function in 2005 and was instrumental in the company's successful IPO in 2007, which led to a $3.4 billion acquisition by SAP in 2010. I do also have to say a massive thank you to Jason Lemkin for the intro to Stacey today, without which this episode would not have been possible. But before we head into the show today, I want to tell you about WePay. WePay helps online platforms increase revenue through integrated payments processing. Constant Contact, Equid, and GoFundMe use WePay. Why? Because WePay uniquely helps platforms offer ROI-positive integrated payments to their users, within their UX and without taking on fraud and regulatory exposure. Others make you trade off between UX friction or fraud not WePay. WePay also offers award-winning support and can even work with your team through Slack or Zendesk. Get the payments revenue you want without getting bogged down every time a user has a payments question. But don't trust me. Visit WePay.com forward slash Harry for a video case study on how Equid grew its revenue while better serving customers with WePay. That's WePay.com forward slash Harry. You'll also be made eligible for a year of free premium support with WePay.com forward slash Harry. And if WePay helps you navigate the world of payments, what about the same for mentorship. Say you hired a bunch of good engineers, and the best way to retain them is to have a good leadership in place. That's where Plato can help. Plato is on a mission to help engineers and engineering managers become great engineering leaders by finding them the perfect mentor. Mentors are great engineering leaders working at Google, Facebook, Lyft, Slack, Trello, you name it. And for a monthly fee, you have unlimited mentorship, advice, and coaching from them in order to help resolving challenging management situations as they arise in real time. Simply head over to Plato hq.com to check it out however it's now time for me to hand over the mic to stacy epstein ceo at zinc good that's perfect okay i think we're warmed up stacy it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show a big hand to jason at sasta for the intro but thank you so much for joining me today stacy well thank you it's uh, fun to be here well i'm very very pleased you're here and i'd love to start today with a little about you and how you made your first forays into the world of sas yeah, well, it's an interesting, maybe longer story, so I'll I'll keep it short and sweet. But I never really intended to go into technology. In fact, I probably never intended to go into business. I was a soccer player, or probably as you would call it, a football player. Love it. In college, and super into sports, and also an English major. I thought I was going to be a sportscaster, combining my love for sports with my love for writing and journalism. And I moved to San Francisco after college because I thought it would be a fun place to live while I figured out how to get that first job in sports casting. And this was back at a time when there were no women sportscasters. So I figured it might take me a little while to conquer that feat. And I got a job at Oracle. This was early 90s. Oracle was still a relatively unknown company. I got a job at Oracle as an administrative assistant to an administrative assistant. And it 
it paid the bills while I thought I was going to break into what my desired career was. And once I got there, it was so dynamic, so interesting, growing so fast, so many opportunities, so many people doing really interesting, challenging things around me that I one day realized that I wanted to see what I could do with a career in this space and just applied for bigger jobs, moved up, expanded what I did. I ended up being at Oracle for about six years before I moved on to some smaller companies. So I guess you could say I fell into it, but have been there ever since. My word, what an incredible journey though from that start. Uh, but I, I, I want to move to an element where you spent a large amount of your career being the world of marketing and, and kind of focus on that with the transition to CEO now with Zinc. So I'd love to hear with that in mind, what the fundamental lessons you learned were from, from the career in marketing and then switching to the fundamentally new role to CEO? Yeah, that's uh, definitely, certainly we all bring our career experiences with us as we move on in our careers. And I think there's a, a few that I learned along the way in my marketing career that have impacted how I lead as a CEO. I think the first one was one I learned maybe earlier in my career when I was learning to manage teams for the first time. And it's really the art of delegating. And I think when you've got a, a good, strong skill in a certain area, sometimes it seems like, well, it's just easier and faster to do it yourself because you know exactly how you want to get it done. And as you grow a team, as you lead more people, as you're starting to lead functions that aren't necessarily your area of strength, you get to a point where you can't do it all. And doing it yourself or having a heavy hand in it is not the fastest, best way to a positive outcome. And I think early you learn how to delegate more. I think as you grow and your positions are bigger and broader and wider, you get to the point where you start realizing you have to hire people smarter than you are in their particular function. And I think that's been a big focus for me as the CEO. When you're running a a marketing team, there's different disciplines within marketing, right? There's demand gen, there's PR and awareness, there's product marketing, there's marketing operations and, and data analysis. And we can't all be experts in each of those. And so you've got to focus your time and energy on the ones that you're good at and make sure you have just complete rock stars in the other functions. And I learned that as I grew into my CMO roles, when you get to being a CEO, you just multiply that by 20. Then you're really taught, you're not talking about disciplines within marketing. You're talking about finance, product, engineering, sales, HR. It it starts to become even further from what is the core skill set and experience that you possess as the CEO and making sure that you can divide your time on and, and focus in the areas where you're strong and you can add value and then make sure that you just have amazing people that are much better than you are in those other roles. And I think last thing on this point, and it's tangential to what I just talked about is I have certainly learned over my career that people and culture are everything. And and this was something that we preached as a company back in my days at Success Factors. People drive performance. It doesn't matter what you do, even a manufacturing company, there are people that are building the specs for the products. There are people that are making sure they get built. There are people that are servicing the problems if customers have them. People are everything and people are unique and they have personalities and they have wants and needs 
needs and things that motivate them and challenge them. And if you can really hone in on having a great culture and having great people that are happy and engaged and thriving in their career, that will lead to performance. I'm intrigued. You said that about people powering performance. We recently had Ari from Cluster on the show, and he kind of outlined a methodology to measuring performance effectively and being very clear and transparent. Kind of three months, you've got time to to kind of learn the ropes. But after that, it's very much a metrics and effectiveness driven game where essentially if you don't meet the bar, there's an exit door. I'm intrigued. How, to what extent do you measure performance? And then to what extent is it a higher fast fire fast from there? I think that's certainly a great philosophy. You have to assess where you are as a company. I think a company going back to Oracle, I mean, if you're a big, huge company like Oracle, it's absolutely crucial that you have a very stringent goal setting, performance management, measuring how are people performing in their goals. Having a a strict process and really adhering to it is important in a big company. When you look at a startup, there's just different phases of a startup. I mean, some startups are still figuring out what their product market fit is and setting goals and that kind of an organization is a different kind of challenge. And you have the kind of people that you have are figure it out kind of people and versus just, okay, I've got my playbook. I'm going to go execute on my playbook. Okay. You didn't hit the five metrics or the five steps in the playbook. So you're out the door figuring something out and being in a role where it, there's some creativity, there's some steps you're creating a market. So there's not always a playbook to that. And so saying, okay, I need you to do this, this, and this, and this time frame doesn't always work. So although I agree with that ideology, I think you have to have some room for flexibility based on what stage you are and what are the goals that you have for the overall company. You spoke about stages there. You've moved personally through different stages now as CEO of Zinc. I'd love to hear what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started the role as CEO? Well, (laughs) a million things. (laughs) I mean, certainly, as I alluded to before, I took on plenty areas of the organization that I had never managed before. And being in a startup is not foreign at all to me. I was in the first hundred employees in that company and helped build it through the IPO and almost up to the acquisition was there about six years. I was employee 15 at ServiceMax, which I think you probably know was recently acquired for a billion dollars by GE. So I've done the like very early stage all the way through to successful outcome. What I haven't ever done is be responsible for finance. I've been a part of building pitch decks for probably 20 rounds of funding in my career. I've never been the one on point for both delivering that deck, but also negotiating with VCs, understanding term sheets, dealing with banks and lawyers, just all kinds of new experiences that you don't experience if you're a department head. So a lot of it is on the job training, right? And and there are times literally that I'm negotiating with VCs on the deal and they're bringing up terms that I've never even heard of. <laughs> like Googling the term as I'm trying to negotiate the agreement and that's, nobody wants to be in that position, right? So, uh, but I think you just do it, you live it, you work your way through it. My approach was to be very transparent about it. I'm not good for this job because I know what that particular term is. I'm good for this job because I have a great deal of experience in go-to-market strategies and building companies. So if I don't know what that term is, you're going to have to give me 10 minutes or 
for a day and I'll come back to you with a response on it. So I think going back and, and what did I wish I had known? I wish I had the year and a half of experience of being a CEO that I have now, but there's kind of no way around it. It is what it is. I think the, the other thing that I going back, looking at what have been challenges in the, in the transition to CEO, I think one of the biggest ones for me was I am a big collaborator. I work really well in getting input from lots of different types of people and using that input to help me make my decisions. When you're the CEO of a SaaS company, you don't have peers and you really don't have a boss. Now you have a board, but the board is not your boss and they're not with you on a very regular basis. And then in those early months on this job, I definitely felt a little lonely. Like I wanted to run things by people. I wanted to go, I wanted to get some input into how I was doing. And you don't really get that. Now, certainly you have your leadership team and I've expanded my leadership team. Now I have an incredible one and we have a very collaborative way of working together, but it took a little bit to get used to being kind of the sole person in this role with no peers and no boss. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I think, I think CEO is a very lonely role, but, but I'm, I'm interested particularly in the kind of integration of both CEO and CMO in terms of kind of having been the CMO and now the CEO, what role should the CEO play, do you think, in the marketing strategy and the execution? Yes, I have a lot of opinions on that topic. Obviously, marketing being my background and also probably my biggest passion, I think it's crucial that the CEO plays a role. I think the personality and the passions of the CEO dictate a little bit what role that is. I've worked for very dynamic, charismatic, very vocal CEOs like Lars Dalgard. I've worked for more thoughtful, intellectual, understated CEOs like Dave Yarnold. Both of those men played a pretty strong role in marketing in completely different ways. My viewpoint is that marketing is the mouthpiece of the company. Marketing is the one that is communicating to the market what the vision is, what the value proposition is, why people should pay attention to this company. And if the CEO is the visionary, then her voice and input are crucial to the marketing strategy. And and even if it's only to that extent that the CEO is playing a role, the CEO should be part of crafting what is our message, what is our positioning, why do we matter, what value did we deliver to our customers. It's fine for marketing to be the execution arm of that, but the CEO needs to be weighing into that. In addition to that, marketing tends to be one of the largest areas of spend, in a, especially in a SaaS company other than headcount, it's typically the marketing budget. So if you're the CEO and you are paying attention to how you're spending your money, which you'd be crazy not to, then understanding like how does the funnel work? At the end of the day, what marketing does is marketing is helping to fuel revenue. And revenue is probably the most important metric that companies are striving for. So understanding that funnel and how are we getting leads in? How are we paying for those leads? What are the, what's the data behind our whole funnel metrics? I think CEOs should understand that at least at a high level because it's so easy to just say, oh, well, this is a big area of spend. If I need to tighten my belt, I'm going to cut it here. And understanding how that's actually going to input in understanding how that's actually going to impact revenue is important and may change the way that budgets are spent and the way the company succeeds. I think the final point here 
is if you're a good CEO, you're out in front of customers and you're talking to customers a lot. You're also talking to prospects a lot. I think it's a really important thing for CEOs to do. And it gives you a very unique perspective on the market and funneling that back into marketing is super valuable. Mm -hmm. So I think consciously doing that is an important task for a CEO. Can I ask what ratio uh, do you think is healthy in terms of marketing to revenue spend? Oh, that's, uh, I, I, I can't give you a hard and fast answer on that one. That it totally depends on all kinds of different SaaS metrics, where you are in your market, what your customer acquisition costs are, if you're fueling for growth, or if you're in a steady state. I think it that ebbs and flows depending on a lot of different factors. So no, that was I, an impossibly hard question. What a sh- I know. terrible well, interviewer. I, I mean, no, it's okay. I I think it's uh, you you probably can take a, a guess that I'm not a playbook person. When someone says, oh, what's your playbook for marketing for a SaaS company? And I get asked that all the time. My answer is you. there is no playbook for marketing in a SaaS company. Every company is unique. Every company has unique needs. What's necessary to really build market awareness and bring a company to market is totally dependent on so many different factors. So to say that, you know, here's how you should do performance reviews. Here's how much money you should spend relative to revenue. Here's how you should run your funnel. To me, that it's not intelligent way to go about marketing. Every stage, every company, every market is different. And what worked at Success Factors wasn't the thing that helped us take off at Service Mac. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, it makes sense. But I, I do want to dive into a quick firearm. We call the 60 second Sasta after that terrible question. And and so 60 seconds per question. How does that sound? I'm ready. So what hires do you wish you'd made earlier? Head of sales. Why? I mean, revenue is everything. I Going back to my comment about the playbook, this company had very, very strong products, very strong engineering function, and less evolved on the sales and marketing side. And I could fill the gap as it related to marketing. And I thought I could do a better job of running the sales function. And I, I just was stretched too thin and frankly, didn't have the right experience. I think having a head of sales in here much, much sooner, just as like hardcore priority, spend half of my days finding that right person. I think we would have gotten to traction faster. What can females in the industry do to master the art of negotiating? Practice, practice, role play, practice again. I think women are tend to not be as comfortable negotiating. And the way to get comfortable at something you don't think you're good at is to practice it, like literally have somebody be a jerk as you're trying to negotiate something in a role play and practice your responses. Recruiting in the Valley these days, this is from Jason. How tough and top tips? Super hard, especially engineering, especially for small startups that are not as known. I would say my tips, we've had some really good success in the last three to four months. I think part of it is that we had a really good round of fundraising and a good solid investors and that's 
certainly helps. But I think knowing your value proposition as a company, what makes you stand out, not only the market that you sell to because people care who they work for, but also what is your value as it relates to culture and being really consistent with it and making sure all hiring managers know it as I think a, a, a tip to at, at least once they get in the door, knowing that you can hook them immediately. When is the right time to hire your CMO? As early as you can afford it and as early as you can land a good one. Mm-hmm. So I would say in the very early stages, you probably don't have enough cash to pay what a good CMO will demand. And as soon as you have that cash, then I think having someone smart and strategic as early as possible, especially in the figuring out stage can be a game changer for a company. So I, I'd say early as you can afford it. Absolutely. I, I do want to move out of the quick fire though and, and discuss the team and the, the, the people that make the magic happen, so to speak, uh, and aligning them. And I'm intrigued, how do you create alignment and, and strong and successful communication between traditionally conflicting sales and marketing, having been in the trenches for marketing for so many years? Well, I think part of it is that it is a hiring challenge. You have to make sure that you have a sales-minded marketer is number one. And as a marketer myself, I think all marketers should understand that sales is their customer and not vice versa. If sales isn't successful, then it means marketing isn't doing the right things either. And to make sure you have that sales-minded marketer is super important. I think having a sales leader that understands the value that marketing brings to them and is willing to collaborate with them. So the first biggest objective is to make sure you hire the right people that want to collaborate, that understand the interdependencies and will work together. The second is this, we haven't talked about it at all, but our product Zinc is a communication platform and it really facilitates and fosters constant communication between our employees on a very regular basis. I can actually look at a conversation map of what's happening in Zinc at my own company and I can see who's talking to who. I I remember early on looking and seeing that my sales leader and my marketing leader were actually not one of the thickest gray lines on the conversation map. And it was alarming to me. Now, this was early in the days where I hadn't found that great sales leader yet. But you know that that just highlights to me that where we need those lines of communication to be strong, they were weak. And and that was part of some of our issues that we had to solve. Mm -hmm. We often hear about different sales personas, so to speak. You've got your hunters of the world. Do you find one particular persona works better with marketing than another? No, not necessarily. I think marketing helps across the board. There's certain aspects of marketing that are meant to help go find new prospects, go communicate the value of the solution to the market to open doors to new people. There's other parts of marketing that help uh, with existing customers or deep into a sales cycle. So I, I think marketing should be adept enough to be able to work across that spectrum. But I want to say, Stacey, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Jason told me it'd be a fantastic episode uh, and it's <laughs> more you. than lived up to expectations. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was fun. Nice to chat with you. And thanks to Jason for putting us together. 
What a fantastic guest and such exciting times ahead for Stacey and for Zinc and a big hand to her for giving up the time today to appear on the show. And again, a big thank you to Jason Lemkin for the intro to Stacey today, without which this episode would not have been possible. And if you'd like to see more from us, you can follow Stacey on Twitter at Stacey Epstein, or you can follow me on Snapchat at Stebbings with two Bs. It'd be fantastic to see you there. But before we leave you today, I want to tell you about WePay. WePay helps online platforms increase revenue through integrated payments processing, constant contact, equid, and and GoFundMe use WePay. Why? Because WePay uniquely helps platforms offer ROI-positive integrated payments to their users within their UX and without taking on fraud and regulatory exposure. Others make you trade off between UX friction or fraud, not WePay. WePay also offers award-winning support and can even work with your team through Slack or Zendesk. Get the payments revenue you want without getting bogged down every time a user has a payments question. But don't trust me. Visit WePay.com forward slash Harry for a video case study on how Equid grew its revenue while better serving customers with WePay. That's WePay.com forward slash Harry. You'll also be made eligible for a year of free premium support with WePay.com forward slash Harry. And if WePay helps you navigate the world of payments, what about the same for mentorship? Say you hired a bunch of good engineers and the best way to retain them is to have a good leadership in place. That's where Plato can help. Plato is on a mission to help engineers and engineering managers become great engineering leaders by finding them the perfect mentor. Mentors are great engineering leaders working at Google, Facebook, Lyft, Slack, Trello, you name it. And for a monthly fee, you have unlimited mentorship, advice, and coaching from them in order to help resolving challenging management situations as they arise in real time. Simply head over to PlatoHQ.com to check it out. As always, we so appreciate all your support and cannot wait to bring you next week's episode.